started out a little bit harsh last week. It started out harsh because Jameson said, you know, right off the bat, Paul goes in, he doesn't really, I mean, he gives this greeting, his normal greeting, grace and peace to you, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and, um, uh, he, and he basically says at the very beginning, he just jumps right in and says, I cannot believe that it has not been long and you guys are already going astray, you're already believing some other gospel that is not the true gospel. He said the word astonished, and, and uh, Jameson said, uh, that's not a word that he uses a lot, astonished. Well, there's a phrase I don't use a lot that Jameson used, and he used hoity-toity last week, so um, that, that's fair for, for Paul, right? So Jameson used hoity-toity, Paul gets to use astonished. Are you taking that note down, Jameson? <laughs> I had to call him out on that. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I, I really, I, I kind of, as we, as we dig in today and we, we talk about uh, what Paul was dealing with with the Church of Galatia is that they were um, believing a man-centered gospel, right? So they had gotten off track and they started, started believing it was about them, right? And, and what we said is that a false gospel is a gospel that is about you. There's two ways in which, I, I, well, it's one way and then there's a way that kind of comes from that. So if you believe a a gospel that, that is man-centered, you believe that there is a way for man to do something in order to be able to get to God. There's any false religion that you look at in the world, any religion that, 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 is, that is different from the true religion, which is the, the way, to, way to God through Christ, if you believe anything else, it's always going to be man-centered. There's something you can do to achieve enlightenment. There's some kind of way that you can live. There's a certain amount of ways that you can pray. There's certain sacraments that you can do. All of these kinds of things in order to be able to to get to God. But our Christian gospel is different than that. And our Christian gospel says this. It says that God came to us, that there is nothing that we can do. There is no way that we could ever, 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 in our wildest imagination, do anything for us to be able to deserve to get to God. Um, because we are truly sinful, because we are sinful people in our nature, that is who we are, there is nothing we could do to earn our way to be able to get to God. And so that is the, the, the way that, that any false religion starts. It's some, some way for you to be able to get to God, right? Well, there's a, there's a part of that that kind of spins from that, if it's a man-centered gospel, and that is this, is that people use Jesus, they use God as a means to an end, okay? Here's what I want to say. This is what, and, and listen, I mean, I... Paul gets mad, so that and, and Jesus would get mad and turn over tables. So I mean, I feel justified that there's there's a righteous kind of anger that's that's justified in that when people belittle the blood of Christ to the point where it's about them, it's about whatever they want, it's about whatever they need, as opposed to understanding that the blood of Christ, yes, indeed, it was shed for us, and yes, it was done so that we might have communion with God, relation with God. It was done out of God's own glory, that God sacrificed his son for his glory, and, and we are the, the fortunate recipients of that grace. But people want to take that, and they want to take the blood of Jesus, Jesus and use it for their own glory. And what I, what I mean by their own glory is they want to take the blood of Jesus and apply that to whatever situation that they feel like is going on in their life, because, you know, uh, uh, apparently the, the prosperity gospel is this, is that that God wants you to be uh, healthy, wealthy, and famous, and rich, and all these kinds of things, right? And he wants you to, to just have the best life now. Well, let me tell you something. Um, Joel Osteen, I'll go ahead and call him out right here. Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. You know what John MacArthur said about that? He said, your best life now? He said, if that's the case, that's absolutely true if you're on your way to hell. 
Your best life is the life that's to come. Not, not right now. Not right now. Because I guarantee you, Paul would disagree when he was beat with rods and put in prison, beat to the point, stoned to the point where he was, he was so close to death, they thought he was dead and they drug him out of the city. I guarantee you, he would say, you know what? The blood of Jesus was not shed so that I can have uh, health, wealth, and prosperity. That, that was not the reason that Jesus' blood was shed. But people will take this false gospel and try to apply it to any situation and it belittles the blood of Christ and it drives me crazy. It makes me angry, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I, I get infuriated about people belittling the blood of Christ because that is my Savior that they're talking about. That, that is my Savior, the one who is holy, holy, holy and his, his name is the name above every other name and they want to cheapen that to the point where they want to apply that to, you know what, uh, my bank account's low. My bank account's low. I'm like, what? You know, you know, if you were to go to Africa, every bank account is low because they don't have a bank account. You know? Uh, the people in this country, we are so stinking rich. Even the most broke people are more rich than the people that are halfway across the world that have absolutely nothing. But because we live in the, in the country that we live in, because we are so stinking spoiled by the stuff that we have, we try to say, you know what, Jesus, he's, he's going he's gonna to take care of this little situation for me. He's, he's, he's going he's gonna to fill my bank account up and I'm going to send some money off to some preacher on TV and that's going to be my seed money and then, and then God's going to bless me and multiply and just fill up my bank account as a result of me giving that little seed money to so-and-so preacher on the TV. And I'm like, don't cheapen the gospel with that garbage and coming into people's houses every day and people believe in that every day. Um, I, I'll call somebody else. I don't have a problem with this. Um, this is uh, from Kenneth Copeland Ministries.com. If you want to check it out, it's uh, kcm.org. Um, don't check it out. I don't recommend it. How to plead the blood of Jesus. Have you ever wondered what it means to plead the blood of Jesus? You can learn how to take the power of the blood and apply it to any situation. Here's how. The attacks of the... Uh, the attacks, I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses, so I'm struggling to read. The attacks of the enemy can often seem relentless. He comes to attack our money, our homes, our children, our health, and even our, our morality through temptation. But here's something you, that he doesn't want you to know. He has no legal right to any part of your life. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he accomplished more than the redemption and remission of sins. I feel like Nancy Pelosi. I just want to rip stuff up right now. You know what I mean? I'm like, the blood of Jesus reserved every part, uh, reversed every part of the curse through sickness, disease, poverty, lack, depression, strife, addiction, or any type of bondage to sin. It's done, finished, over, history. Those things have no legal right to be in your life any longer. This is true. Part of that is true. See, that is the problem with the false gospels. They take a little bit of truth and try to twist it and apply it to whatever situation that they're currently addressing, right? It, it is true that, 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 that Satan does not have any authority in our life, but, but when they take this and they say, okay, because he doesn't have any authority in my life, then that means that God must want me to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. He wants me to not ever have any sickness or disease or anybody that I love to die. That's all garbage, See, that's the problem with a false gospel. A false gospel takes something that is true, the true gospel, and twists it just a little bit. Now, Satan does not have any desire to get you to flip your lid and believe something completely different. Some people do that. 
But Satan's desire is just to get you to, number one, doubt God. If you will doubt God, then he will be able to twist your mind just a little bit so you'll believe something that's not the true gospel of Christ. I'm going to read this. I, I, I can't read much more. This is driving me crazy. You can plead the, the, the blood of Jesus over any person or situation. As your children walk out the door, lay your hands on them and say, In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over, and then fill in your name. As you drive, I say, In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over this vehicle and all who are in it. We will go and come back in perfect safety. Now, does, is that the way that it works? That if I do that, it's like this magic pill that I can take, and if I will just say that before my kid walks out the door, there's no chance they're going to die in a car wreck. Because if they do, and I pled the blood of Jesus over them, then, then that means that this isn't real. That means that this is, the blood of Jesus is not real. Let me tell you this. This is what I believe about the blood of Jesus. I believe that it was shed for every single person and every single sin that has ever been committed in this entire world for all of eternity. And that will always be true. There will be no time when you can say that that's not true. There will be no time that that will fall short on you. There will be no time where, where, where somebody can confess their sins, fall on their face, humbly before God and say, God, cleanse me, purify me, make me new through the power of your blood. There is no time when that will not happen if you are sincere and genuine in your heart and in your confession. But see, this, this can fall short. You, you're, you can pray this over your kids, put your hands on them, pour as much oil over their head as you want to. That doesn't mean they're not going to die in a car wreck. This is not like some kind of foolproof way. And look, it says, listen to this. I like this one. This one was really nutso and really drove me crazy. You can plead the, the blood of Jesus over your health. There was once a woman who was stung by a venomous scorpion. Everyone around her expected her to, be, to quickly become ill. But instead, she pled the blood of Jesus over any harm coming to her, and she walked away completely untouched. That's the power of the blood. I, I'm not going to read anymore. I just feel like I'm just preaching heresy when I stand up here and talk about it. So anyway, it drives me crazy. I think it drove Paul crazy. As a matter of fact, he gets pretty, pretty bold in, in what he says, and he actually ends up calling Peter out, which we'll read about today. So Paul has been kind of establishing himself, and this is the reason I have the right to talk to you, and he's talking to, uh, talking to uh, the church of Galatians. He's like, look, this is the reason I have any kind of authority to talk to you whatsoever. He says he went back to... Uh, Jerusalem. He had been preaching to the Gentiles. He went back to Jerusalem, hung out with Peter for 15 days, and they were, they were basically like, okay, dude, you're on our team, and we'll talk about that a little bit here for just a minute. In, ver in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, of Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, after f then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. So 14 years later, Paul, what you been doing for 14 years? Where you been for 14 years? I'm sure that he was hanging out at the house eating Doritos, right? I like Doritos and Dr. Pepper. That's probably what Paul was doing, right? He's probably hanging out eating Doritos, drinking Dr. Pepper. You know, and he probably wasn't watching how it's made on TV like I do, but he was probably watching something else. For 14 years, Paul has been doing what? What do you think he has been doing? I believe he's probably been doing the same thing he had been doing. Now he's going back to Jerusalem. I'm, I imagine he's going back after having been preaching to the Gentiles for 14 years. That would be what I would guess that Paul's doing. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. Now, 
what does that say? Immediately when I see that, I, okay, Paul is being spirit-led here. He's in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, he's, he's sitting there and he's hanging out and he's all over the world, you know, just all over that part of the world. And, and you know, and God just kind of reveals to him, hey, I need to go back to Jerusalem. That's where you need to go. So I believe he gets up, like, takes his bag, got his sandals on, and he starts trucking it back to Jerusalem. He's like, I believe that that's where God wants me to go, so that's where I'm going. If you read the book of Acts, you will see a lot of times where, where Paul, will, will, he'll go into a place and, and he'll stay there, and then there will be times when he'll leave, and there will be sometimes he says, well, God's Spirit led me to go, and there will be sometimes when God's Spirit led him to stay. But he's in tune with the Holy Spirit. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. So he's telling them, this is what I've been telling everybody. I just want you guys to know. He said, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that my, all my efforts have been wasting. I was running uh, the race for nothing. So this is, this is what he says. He says, I came back to Jerusalem to talk to the other apostles of Jesus to make sure that we were in agreement. Because he didn't want to be preaching some kind of false gospel. He didn't want to be out of alignment with, with what everybody else was saying and what they understand it to be. And this came from God. So he's like, I think there's a little bit of, I need some confirmation here, if you will. I need to make sure that what I'm saying is the right thing. That I haven't gotten off track because there are times when that could happen. And maybe he's aware, self-aware enough to say that there are times when maybe I got off track. So I need to make sure that, that we're running the same race here. He says, and they supported me. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, and they supported me, and then I even demand, demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So this is important, okay? Because Jewish people believe that, um, that in order to be made right with God, one of the things that you had to go through was to be circumcised, right? That was how people identified you as a Jew. You were, you were known to be a Jew if you were circumcised, right? That's the part of their religiosity, if you will, is that that's the way that they believe things to be. So here, Paul is pointing out that he's with the apostles, and they recognize that it's different now to be in the family of God, that you don't necessarily have to be circumcised. That's not how you, you be in the family of God, that, that if, you're, if you're believing and trusting in a true gospel, that that is the way that you're in the family of Christ, and because you're in the family of Christ, you're in the family of God, right? So, so they're, they're, he's there with them, and Titus, they're like, they, come on in, bro, you're one of us because... You know, it's, it's like you don't have to be circumcised in order to be in the family of God. You're one of us, and you can preach this gospel, and you can be. And so, so Paul, it's, it's important for him to point that out. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. So here's what's going on. So I believe what happened is, is that they, they've, got, they've got the group there together, and they start talking about circumcision, and, and they're like, Hmm, so how do you guys feel about that? And, and so there's a little bit of dissension in there, and there's a few spies that have been, in, been sent in there to at least bring up the question and, and, and see where these people stand. And, and Paul says, these are, these are false ones, really. They're, they're fake, who were secretly brought in. They, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? He, he says, if you believe that you have to be circumcised, you believe that there's something you have to do, to be in Christ, you're wrong. You're trying to take away that freedom we have in Christ by saying there's something you have to do. See, any kind of false religion, any kind of thing that's going to twist the truth, anything that just takes the truth and just eh, twists it a little bit, you can, 
I mean, what's going on here is they're saying, like, okay, you, you can be a Christian by trusting in Christ, but what you need in order to be really made right with God, you need to, be, you need to trust in Christ, plus you need to be circumcised. Christ plus anything is a false religion. It is Christ alone and faith in Christ alone. That is what brings you to God. That is what puts you in a right relationship with God is by your faith in Christ. We are saved by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be saved. Christ plus anything, that's a false religion and not true. And here Paul's saying, man, when you try to add something to Christ, he said you're taking away our freedom. The freedom we have in Christ. Because, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Does that mean everybody, that everybody on the earth has to be circumcised in order to be able to, to be able to be a Christian? Would that be the right way of going about it? Would that be the right way that, that God would have it in such a way that in order to have a right relationship with me, everybody has to be circumcised? What if there are people in places where that's not possible? What if there are places where it's just not physically possible to do that? Does that mean these people are outside the family of God just because they can't meet this requirement? No, the requirement is to have faith in Christ. We have freedom through faith in Christ. And Paul says, when you try to add something to it, you're taking away that freedom. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give, them, uh, give in to them for a single moment. We want to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. He said, we aren't letting them get in our heads. We're not going to let them mess with the gospel. The gospel is true. We don't need to, to mess with it or change it or add anything to it. It is true the way that it is. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. It's, it's important here. I said, you know what, Paul? What you're doing is good. There's nothing else that you really need to do. What you're saying is the right thing. So they're all in agreement. This is important that they're all in agreement because we're going to get to a point here in the latter part of chapter 2 where... It's like, mm, by, the, by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God had, has no favorites. He's like, it's really cool that you guys agree with me, but it doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> it's like, I respect you guys as being the, the folks that walked with Jesus, and you're the leaders in the church, and you're, you're, you're preaching this. He said, he said but ultimately... It's because your believers in Christ is what matters to me most. It's not your reputation. That's why I tell you a lot of times whenever I'm talking to somebody, um, I don't ever tell them I'm a preacher. I mean, because as soon as you tell them you're a preacher, immediately the conversation changes. They're like, you know, they stand up a little straighter and then they, you know, comb their hair over so that everything, and then they start talking to you in a very formalized voice and blah, 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 yes. And I go to church every Sunday, you know, and they... And I, I can quote Romans chapter 8 from memory. Would you like to hear it now? You know, and it's like they, their demeanor changes immediately. I can't ever talk to them as, as a Christian, you know. They, they know I'm a Christian by the way that I act and the things that I do, but I'm like, I don't want to tell you I'm a preacher because this is going to mess up the whole conversation. You're going to have to start. You, the, the first thing you're going to tell me is, oh, I'm going to come visit your church someday. You know what I mean? Like that's the first thing everybody says as soon as you tell them you're a preacher. Oh, I need to go check out that church. I have this plan. I think, it's, I think it's better than the Catholic Church when they came up with purgatory. I have a plan. The plan is this. The, the plan is this. When somebody tells me that I'm going to come visit your church, I'm going to say, fine, that's cool. Give me a dollar, and if you come visit the church, I will give you that dollar back. If I had done that when Civil Church started, we would have $5 million in the bank right now. We would be, we would be loaded. All the people that come up to me and tell me, Hey, I'm going to come visit your church. I'm going to tell them, just give me a dollar. If you, come, if you actually come, I'll give you that dollar back. 
man, we would have, we'd have a huge church. It would be massive, you know. I, but anyway, I thought that was funny. You guys may not think that was funny. But the number of people that tell me that they're going to come, I'm going to come visit your church. I think that's a polite thing to say to a pastor. That's, why, that's another reason I don't like telling them I'm a pastor because that's, that's a polite thing. To say, oh, I'm going to come visit you guys sometime. No, you aren't. You liar. Just don't lie to me. Just be honest with me. You know, I'll believe it when I see it, you know. But anyway, okay. <laughs> I'll get down off my soapbox now. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. You'll see he had given the, uh, Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. He said, okay, yeah, Peter's got the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. i got responsibility of preaching to the Gentiles. They, they see that we're on, you know, we're on the same page. That's good. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle uh, to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So they're working in two different groups. Great. God using everybody and reaching all different kinds of people. Phenomenal. God does that. It's wonderful. In fact, James, Peter, John, who were uh, known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given to me and accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they, con- while they continued their work with the Jews. So they said, all right, you guys are one of us. We're working for the same cause. Um, you guys go out and continue doing your thing uh, to the Gentiles. We'll continue doing our thing to try to reach the Jews. Their only suggestion, I don't know why this is in here. I'm trying to think. Maybe Paul just wanted to emphasize this. Maybe God just said, you know what, you need to hear this one more time, and I'm just going to throw it in there. He said, the only suggestion they, that was, the only, their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. So he said, go out and keep doing what you're doing, preaching the message you're preaching, and don't forget to help the poor. That's important. And I think part of that, too, is that in order to be able to back up what you're preaching, you got to have action in your life, and you got to have something that represents the gospel. And I think reaching out to the poor is one of those ways it's just really obvious to be able to do that, to, to reach the people that feel like they're unlovable in some way. And, and you remember how we've talked about many times, a lot of times the poor people are some people that were disabled in some way or blind or something like that. A lot of times they were relegated to being beggars and just a difficult situation to them. And it was basically those that were unloved in a lot of ways, and, and, and they just remind them, hey, don't forget Reach out to the poor because that's going to be evidence of your faith. So they just kind of remind Paul of that. He said, you're doing a great job. Just remember, keep reaching out to the poor. All right. Now we get down to the good part. Uh, I'm going to try to go through this pretty quick. But when Peter came to Antioch, you can tell there's a transition there. There's probably a little gap in your Bible, and it probably says Paul confronts Peter, something like that. Um, and it starts right here with this but. But when, Paul, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. Dang, Paul. Wow, that's harsh. You know, he's like, he's like Peter came to Antioch. He's coming to like encourage us, help us out, and, and just be there for us to encourage us in the gospel. And I had to call him out to his face. I think, I think he didn't mess with Paul. He'd been beat with rods too many times for you to mess with him. And he's like, he's like you do something that's anti-gospel, I ain't going to be cool with it. I don't care who you are. This is Peter. Like it. Like this was, this was like the guy that, even though he said a lot of stuff, he was kind of like Jesus' best friend in a lot of ways, and he, he was always there to, to speak up every time everybody was being quiet. And, and here, Peter comes to Antioch, and, and Paul's like, I had to call him out to his face. I, I mean, I, I think that, that this means that it was in front of everybody. I, Paul wasn't playing. He's like, I called him out to his face for what he did was very wrong. He didn't say, eh, he was doing something that was kind of not, not so good. He said what he was doing was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were, who were not circumcised. 
So he, Peter's doing the right thing. He's just hanging out with them. Eating with them is a way of communing with them and saying, you're one of my people. We're, we're, we're together, right? So he would sit down with the Gentiles, even if they weren't circumcised. He didn't care. He's like, we're all part of this family of God. You're believers in Christ. We know there's one way to God, and it's through Christ, and we're on the same page. So he would hang out with them, eat with them. But afterward, when some, of, some friends of James came, and this is people coming from Jerusalem, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who were uh, insisted on the necess- necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish followers, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So this really ticked Paul off. He said, I had to call him out to his face because what he was doing was he was, when, he, when nobody was there, he was fine with the Gentiles. He would eat with them and you're one of us. Okay, cool. But then and as soon as some guys from Jerusalem showed up and they're all about the circumcision and saying, you have to need to be circumcised to be made right with God. And we're not going to associate with you unless you're circumcised because that's what makes you right with God. If I associate with somebody who is not right with God, I become unclean and I don't want that. And so, I mean, that's true hypocrisy right there, right? So, get a little deep here, get a little personal maybe. This is what you see in the church. You want me to bring this real current day for you a little bit? You're around friends, maybe you're around friends that go to church with you, and you act one way here at church, and then you go to school and you act an entirely different way. You get around some other people that says, you know what? It ain't no big deal if you cuss, you know? What, what difference does that make? You know, and, and it, here's one of the things that, that drives me crazy. Um, Cash and I talk about this often, actually, is that the cussing is a choice. It's a choice that you make. You don't believe me? If you don't believe me, um, all you got to do is, is come in here, and you won't hear anybody cuss. You know what I mean? Uh, when you're talking to me, nobody cusses, but I know that when they go other places, they do. So it's obviously a choice. It's something you have control over. It's not something that just slips out. You obviously have a, have a choice about whether or not you do it or not, and some people choose to do it in certain places and not do it in others. I, I don't peop- hear people cussing up a storm when they go into a wedding ceremony. It's a choice, right? Some people do cuss at wedding ceremonies. I'm just saying, like, there, there is a certain set of, here's where you are, this is how you act, this is how you behave, so it's a choice. I'm hitting home a little bit, aren't I? Then there are some people that come in here, and they act like they're the best parents ever, and they love their kids, do anything for their kids. Then they go home, not so much. In the church environment, it looks one way. In the home environment, it looks a completely different way. They don't act. They don't do. They don't behave the same way towards their kids. They don't behave the same way about anything the same in the church environment as they do at home. Maybe some of this is ringing a bell with you guys. Maybe you've, you've experienced this. Or maybe it's at work. It's church friends, friends that you're with at church. And then there's work friends. And work friends are different than church friends. And you behave differently around the work friends than you do around church friends. And we try to compartmentalize our lives and say, oh, that's here, and this is how I behave at church. You know what I think Paul would say to that? Very wrong. Very wrong. I had a personal experience with this. I brought a friend of mine 
from work to church one time. He came, this, uh, we hadn't been friends for too terribly long, uh, you know, and, and I invited him to go to a men's conference. He came to the men's conference, and one of my buddies called me out to my face right in front of him. This is what he said. He called me Kenny. Everybody at works calls me Ken. I'm not compartmentalizing my life. I'm just saying that I've always gone by Ken at work. So anyway, he said, does, does Kenny talk about Jesus at work? I'm like, dude, you call me out right here? Like, we're standing in a group of about five people. I'm like, what if he says no? You know what I mean? Like, that's going to look really bad in front of all my church friends. Fortunately, he said, he said yeah, absolutely. I was like, God, dodge a bullet there. But I mean, really, I mean, but, but a lot of people, you think about that. If you were to take your church friends and take them into work with you and hang out in your little work circles where people are talking and telling the jokes and stuff, would it look very different than what you do at church and the group of little friends that you hang out in your small group or go to eat, drink coffee with and, and eat dinner with? We compartmentalize and say, that's there, that's here, you know. I think Paul would say that's very wrong. And what happened with Peter is he got wrapped up into that. Some of his church friends came from Jerusalem and they came over and said, oh, this is what you got to do in order to be able to hang out with us. You got to be circumcised. And Peter said, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in on that, guys, yeah. Because he didn't want to be the outsider. He didn't want to be the one that said, no, guys, you guys are crazy. It's just because they believe in Christ. That's why they're part of our family. He didn't want to do that. Oh, peer pressure got a hold of Peter, I think, is what happened. Religious peer pressure is what happened. False gospel. He said, and Paul said, it was even so bad that it got Barnabas, too. And I think that's probably where Paul drew the line. He's like, that's the straw that broke the camel's back for me is when Barnabas started believing this, this junk. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to be any part of that. No, and he, he calls Peter out to his face. When I saw that they were not following the, tru the truth of the gospel message, I, I said to Peter in front of all the others, tough, since you, a Jew by birth, have disregarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? He says, you, you denounce Judaism being Jewish as, as the way to God. You, you already said no to that. Why are you now trying to make these, these Gentiles be Jewish? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners, and that's in quotes there, like the Gentiles. He's calling them sinners, and I really believe this is a little bit of sarcasm going on here out of the voice of Paul. He's saying, he said, you and I are Jews. We're not like these sinners over here that are Gentiles. And I think he's kind of poking fun at the fact that Peter's making them out to be sinners. And the reality is that the true gospel message is that we're all sinners and that we're all rebellious against God. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We have freedom in Christ. Will you obey every one of God's laws? Will you always obey every single one of God's laws? Because if you mess up one time, you're completely out. Is there any way that you can be completely perfect and completely in alignment with every single one of God's laws all the time? If you are, please let me know because you would be Jesus. 
Of course not. There's no way that you can accomplish that. Well, that's why we had to lean on the cross of Christ. And that's why Jesus, who lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to every single law, that's why he had to take on the penalty that we could not take. He says, it's through our faith in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us right with God. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. And then we found guilty because we have abandoned the law. So suppose that we, we had faith in Christ, but then we started to obey the law. So we took Christ plus... And then we fell short on the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. For I tried to keep the law and it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. This is what he says. He says, I, I, I died to that old way of living. It is cut off from me. It is not something I can go back to. It is not something I can lean into. If, if I trust in that, it will condemn me. But I have to trust in Christ alone. And now that I trust in Christ alone, I can live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. He said, my old way, the way I used to think, the things I used to believe, the false gospel that I used to believe, he said, that died with Christ. That is gone. Bringing it home a little bit for you. When you came a, became a Christian, when you became a believer, a circle of friends at work, did you continue to listen to their crap and listen to the messages or the jokes that they, they told? Did you continue to hang out with that circle of friends at school that always said the worst kind of things? Or did you kind of back away from that because it bothered you and it bothered your soul? It bothered your heart to hear it and it bothered your heart to see people saying stuff that was in rebellion to God. Not saying you can take yourself out of every situation because you can't. Because sometimes you're in a work situation or a school situation. You can't remove yourself out of that class. I'm not saying that. You can't remove yourself out of your job. But there is a way in which you can make your testimony known and you, people can know where you stand and what you're okay with and what you're not. I'll give you an example. There's a buddy of mine in Covington, Georgia. He's now the head of supply chain for the plasma supply for Covington, Georgia. We're in one of the places I go to work. He, he, he used to be an IT uh, manager like me, and uh, he and I were sitting in the office of our boss. We both had the same boss for a period of time, and we're sitting in, in the office of, of our boss. And he cussed, right? And neither one of us flinched. We didn't make a noise. We didn't raise our eyebrows, nothing. But he looked, he looked at both of us. He said, I'm sorry. He said, I shouldn't have said that. He said, I'm trying to do better around you guys because I know that you don't cuss and I know that you don't cuss and I know that I don't need to cuss. And that seriously happened. And we just kind of looked at each other. You know, our position is this. That's between you and God. You know, yes, it bothers our soul, but ultimately, man, it's your salvation. It's your relationship with God that's on the line. It's not us you need to apologize apologize to it's, it's the one who died for you that's the one you need to apologize to you can still make your relationship with christ known you, you can still make sure people know what's acceptable to say around you and what's not acceptable to say around you by the way that you live your life and and, and when you became a christian there were things that bothered you and things that you didn't want to associate with my question to you is this do those things still bother you are you still turned away from those things. Those things still drive you crazy when you hear them. 
Or now has it slowly diminished in such a way where you're like, eh, I'm okay with that now. I think Paul would say that was wrong. I think Paul would say that was wrong. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. He said, cut off completely, died completely. It's not something I can go back to. It is no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I do not treat the grace of God, if I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. This is what he says. He says, The grace of God means everything. The forgiveness of God means everything. The law, I mean, trying to obtain or keep, adhere to the law and hold fast to the law, he said, that, that means nothing. All that is dead to me. He said, if I keep hanging on to something that's not true, if I keep hanging on to a false gospel, if I keep hanging on to something where I have to do this and I have to do that and it's about me, and he said, if it's about me, if it's all about me, then I should have been hanging on that cross, not Christ. And, and, and here the reality is, is that you couldn't do it because you couldn't adhere to every single law that God ever laid down. There was no possible way for you to be able to pay the penalties for your own sin because you were never perfect to begin with. Christ died, the one who was perfect, so that we ourselves would not have to endure that punishment. And I'm not just talking about the punishment of the cross. I'm talking about eternal separation from God. He took that on himself so that we can have that right relationship with God. And going back to the old way of trying to adhere to every single law and every single thing that would get us to God, so that all needs to be dead to you. And if you go back to that way, if you go back to the way that, that you, you used to think, anything that's not a true gospel, Jameson said it last week, it doesn't matter if an angel preaches it to you. you. You need to know what the true gospel is. You need to understand what it really is so that you're not deceived by it and, and that angel, whoever preaches something that's not the true gospel, is accursed, is cut off from God. That's why we come in here, folks. So that God can speak to us. He can challenge us about the things that are going on in our lives. And he can speak truth into our lives so we don't get it all twisted and messed up. And, and that's why you need it, truthfully, more than once a week. And I'm not just saying Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm talking about all through the week you need it. So that you understand what is real, so that you're not confused and you're not easily moved, tossed to and fro by any whim of doctrine, that you actually know what the gospel really is. Because if you're just watching TV and you're just watching what's on TV, I promise you, you are going to be deceived. Because it sounds good to you, because it's what your body wants, it's what your ear wants. You're like, man, that is about me. I love things that are about me. I'm going to embrace that. We need the truth. We need to be in places where the truth is being exposed and the truth is being taught. All of us as Christians. And we don't need anything else. Father, thank you for this precious word. Lord, I know that I've gone long tonight and, and Lord, there is just so much that needed to be said about this, about this book, Lord, about the things that you've revealed to us. We can so easily be deceived. We can be so easily led astray because our minds and our bodies desire things, God, that are what we want, especially in this environment that we live in this country where we are so blessed. Lord, I pray that we would not seek what we want. We would seek what you want for us. 
Lord, and if that is indeed, if, if what we need is cancer, if what we need is poverty in order for us to be close to you, then God, that's what we ask for. God, that's what we ask for. Because ultimately what matters at the end of the day is when we're standing face to face with you, what matters, God, is our eternity. Not so much about what we endured in this lifetime. The things we endure in this lifetime just point us to that eternity that is to come. Maybe some people have had some things that have come to light in their lives. Some, some things that maybe, maybe they're not behaving the way at school that they behave here. Maybe they're not behaving the way at work that they behave here. Maybe they're not behaving the way at home that they behave here. Maybe you've brought that to light. The good news is that there is a gospel that's true. And because we are free in Christ, because you have this enormous grace that you have poured out for us, now there's always a chance to come back to you. That you're going to wrap us up in your loving arms. That you're going to redeem us and, and shape us and mold us and say, okay, you've learned. Now go. Go and do what you, know you need to do now. Father, thank you for the grace that you pour out on us so lavishly. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. May we embrace your truth, the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.